Hey there, and welcome to Upfront, a podcast that features conversations with Connecticut-based top performers who represent the very best in their field and how they are making an impact in their industry and here at home in Connecticut. Thanks for listening. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Upfront. I'm Derek Beer, and I'm super excited that you are here with us for this episode. In fact, I'm excited that you're with us for all the episodes, or maybe it's your first time listening to us. But at any rate, welcome to the show. So where do we begin? For starters, Ann Nyberg has spent more than 40 years in television news. That makes her the longest-serving female news anchor and reporter here in Connecticut television history. Now, you've probably have seen her on WTNH for the 5, 6, 10, or 11 o'clock nightly newscast that she's on. Or maybe you've caught her on her own show called Nyberg, where she interviews all sorts of interesting people from Connecticut. Her list of accomplishments is impressive. In 2015, she was inducted into the Silver Circle, which is an honor given to television professionals who have made significant contributions to their community and to the vitality of the television industry. She's also been voted the best news anchor for a decade in Connecticut Magazine's Reader's Poll, has been nominated for multiple Emmys, published two books, founded a charity, and was awarded the Spirit of the Catherine Hepburn Award. Above all else, Anne is super devoted to her family, and she enjoys spending time with her children and grandchildren. 40 years in the news business, or any business, is no easy feat. So I wanted to find out how does she do it and what keeps her going? What inspires her? What are the lessons learned along the way, especially from people like Barbara Walters? And how would she change the news business if given the opportunity? We talk about that and so much more. Ann Nyberg, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Derek. Um, you're, you're apt to hear anything. <laughs> okay. I'm looking forward to it. So the the first question I'd love to get into is, where did you grow up? I was born on an Air Force base in San Angelo, Texas, and then I was raised in South Bend, Indiana. Ah, okay. Came from the Midwest out east. Yes, yes. Mid, mid Midwest values, right? Are they still with you today? That's what they say. I mean, I think people are the same all over the place. Um, but Midwestern values, they'll say, you know what? I could tell you're from the Midwest because you're so kind. And I don't get that because I think people are kind everywhere. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I think that's, you know, Midwest is laid back and um, where the easy living is easy kind of, I guess. <laughs> and. So you're born on the Air Force Base. You grow up in in, in Indiana. Um, How would you describe your childhood or life growing up there? (laughs) You know what? Pretty basic. Um, I was the oldest of four. Okay. I have and two sisters. um, And I was the one that was always um, writing, constantly writing, very curious. Um, You know, if I saw... Uh, something I could do, I I did it. I was 
I was very much um, different from my siblings in that I just had this thirst to know everything. Mm. I suppose kind of like my dad in that direction. My dad was an Air Force pilot um, and then became a dentist um, and was very entrepreneurial and did lots of stuff. Um, so I kind of, I kind of am like him. My mom was a teacher, but never taught, um, but was a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was pretty, just a pretty basic upbringing in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, we rode our bikes, you know. Um, our parents had no idea where we were until we came home. That's the way it was, right? Yeah, I know. I miss those days, right? When the right. the street light went, you know, when the street light came on, or you heard somebody whistle for you, you know, that's when you came in, came in. <laughs> you used, used to play kick the can. That's how old I am. Oh boy! <laughs> Did you ever do that? No, we used to play like wiffle ball or things like yeah. that. You know, well, you're a guy. You're a guy. <laughs> so it was, just, it was simple. We had a. <clears throat> We had a 900, still do, a 900-square-foot cottage um, about 30 miles away in southern Michigan. Hmm. And that's where we would spend um, our summers and our weekends. And it would it's a family cottage, so the cousins would come. And um, in one of my books, I wrote about it, that it you know the dishes never matched, the cups never matched. Sometimes you'd have popcorn in a strainer, and that was all fine, right? It was just very basic. The cottage is still Naughty Pine and still is 900 square feet with two bedrooms and one bathroom and just a big entertaining space. And it's awesome. I love that, though. You know, it's like we we have something similar to that. It's not in our family, but we we rent a cottage, um, a beach house every summer in, in the Cape. And it's the same thing. You know, it's <laughs> like the dishes don't match. The nope. furni- furniture doesn't match, but nope. it, it's all about the people you're with. Right at that moment, and, and there was never any phone in that cottage. Yeah, so we we would have to go to a neighbor's house that uh, lived there more than we did and use their phone. Now that you know there are cell phones, the cell service is terrible up there. <laughs> but we, <clears throat> so you have to go out to the end of the pier to make a phone call. Uh huh. Um, but we decided. Well, half of us decided, because you know how it goes with family cottages, to put Wi-Fi in just because we wanted to be able to go up there and work if we needed to. And <clears throat> so that happened about eight years ago. So we're slow to the uptick. Mm. But that's okay. <laughs> Listen, yeah, we had a stove in there that was 60 years old, and not until it started sparking did we change it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds dangerous, but yeah. Yeah, well, and, you know, I, I made some cookies one time. I said to my mother, I go, you know what? It's really time to get a new stove. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, we used to so, go We used to go camping as kids. Up, we were seasonal campers up in um, northwest Connecticut, a place called Lone Oak Campsites or Campground. And we started with a tent, and then my family got the, you know, the, the camper. And then sure. it was like, you know – technology and, and everything else at home started creeping in. It was like sure. the, t- the TV. Then they, they did offer cable, but my parents said, no, we're not getting it. My brother and I really whined and wanted it, but they said, that's not why we're here. <laughs> no cable. Okay. Yeah. You, you would never have cable. No, yeah. you just, you just wouldn't do that. Yeah. No. Uh, in fact, our TV that we had in the cottage kind of worked at one point we had when when my grandfather first bought it, it had an antenna that was about, 
I don't know, as tall as the Empire State Building, and you would rotate it mm. to try get in one station if you could. Yeah, and that was it. <laughs> Kids today will never know the pain. No, right? Uh, Just, you know, but I love I love coming off the grid. Yeah, love it. Yeah, no, it's great. It's good for the soul. So, okay, so your 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 dad was the dentist. Your your mom was um, you know a teacher, but also stay at home mom. Basically, yeah. But you know what? What kind of values did your parents instill in you that that you still carry with you today? You know, think of others. Mm. Um, <clears throat> think of others, and you know, um, serve your community. My mom was a big church goer, so we did a lot through the church. She was, um, early in her years, she was part of civic organizations. And so it was always get involved, mm-hmm. um, which I, I still do today. And I just, I think that's just part of life, right? Do what you can for others. So that at the end of the day, you did something, right? Um, I worry that we get into this self-centered, narcissistic um world sometimes and and forget about that but it's it's always the joy of helping others that you get so much back in return yeah it is enriching i mean i I, i've done volunteer work um on and off throughout my life and there was a large gap where i didn't do any and then a few years ago through our company we started an initiative to get people together and volunteer and we we volunteered with special olympics um oh that's awesome yeah and it was just you know Afterwards, just that feeling you get after volunteering, sure. you know, I, I can't quite explain it. You just feel good, you know, so. Yes. Yeah, I, it's, it's, I emceed those for years in, in Connecticut. And it was, it was amazing to see how these athletes push themselves mm-hmm. um, and became able-bodied even when they weren't. It was just, it was really something amazing. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I, I did some research as always for all the guests as much as I can. Um, (laughs) and your mom gave you a diary when you were, um, a young girl. Um, yes. Would you say that that's like, was that your moment when you discovered like storytelling? Probably. And I even, I even put that in my book. So it's, it's a diary that I still have. She gave it to me when I was eight for Christmas. And back in the day, <clears throat> maybe they still do it in some respects, although I haven't found any. It had a lock on it, right? It had a key uh, yeah. and a lock. And I would, um, when you're eight, right, you don't you don't think about a lot of stuff. So I, what I would put in there is, um, I went to the dentist today, or um, I have a bluebird meeting, or you know things like that. And I look back in my eight year old handwriting mm-hmm. and. I laugh about this, but it was extremely important to me. And after I would make an entry, I would relock the <laughs> the diary. So secret, <laughs> so secret. <laughs> of course, anybody could, you know, get into it because the key was with the yeah. diary. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So I didn't lose it, but that that was that started um, that started all of it. The need to chronicle the need to write things down, the need to collect back in the day matchbooks so I could remember where we went, yep. if we did dinner or something. And then um, 
you know, collecting brochures when those, I mean, my kids laugh at me. We can't go anywhere without me collecting brochures. And I, I get a little bit sad because everything's online now. And I'm like, where are the brochures? So I can read and figure out what's going on in this town. Yep. Then getting back to that cottage, um, there is a big garage behind it. So it, it, it had industry with it, like a small little um, shop behind it. And that was where the so-called mimeograph machine was mm. and something called the birch barker because the cottage was on is on birch lake so we would copy the birch barker to hand out to the cottages of which there are 110 or so on the cottage on the lake <clears throat> and so i would write for the birch barker when i was in third grade so it, i guess that was kind of the start of me needing to write things down to Chronicle to make sure, you know, there were dates. My my grandfather always put dates on his cards. Mm. And I, I need and want to always write stuff down. I mean, the clicking back in the day of a manual typewriter, that is music to my ears. In fact, I have earrings and bracelets that are made out of the keys of old typewriters. Oh, wow. And when I started in this business almost 44 years ago, 1979, <clears throat> I always had a pencil behind my ear and I always had like a notepad to write stuff down when I first got into news. I missed the pencil behind my ear because that meant I'm a journalist. I'm, I'm going to write something down. Now everything is, you know, different. I started in the business when it was film mm. and not, you know, digital as we have now. And I, um, when I started in Elkhart, Indiana, it was the South Bend Elkhart market, which is where I grew up. You would have to shoot the story, bring bring the magazine back, put it in the soup, as we called it, develop the film, um, <laughs> and then wind it down, splice it, put little metal tabs on it so that when it went on the air, um, it would stop at the stories, right? If you didn't put the metal tab on the film, it would just keep rolling through the next story. Yep. Um, so I, <clears throat> I'm a very nostalgic kind of person and I, <clears throat> I love yesteryear. And so, and now I'm sort of living in the seventies way to go, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, a, sometimes it's, it's great to go back and look at these things though, because, um, you and by know, the way, I did the fashion of the seventies. So, you know, it's not a, it's not always a good thing. No, you're very stylish. I, you know, you're, you're very, you're, you're very stylish. But, um, you know, back to the, the 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 diary though, where that was kind of the moment of, of you know discovering storytelling. Do you do you still journal or diary? You know, write in your diary today? Because a lot of people talk about the benefits of daily journaling, and sure. I'm just wondering, do you still do that today? You know, I don't because I'm so busy living life. Yeah. <clears throat> but here's one thing I did do with my three daughters. When they started into middle school and high school, I <clears throat> I gave each one of them a diary. Didn't have a lock on it, but we would say things to each other in that diary that maybe you couldn't couldn't say to your mom in formulative years. Mm -hmm. And so I would put it on their bed, then they'd put an entry and put it back on my bed. And this went on for years. And I have all those diaries wow. of my kids thoughts through junior high and high school and they are priceless yeah i imagine oh, that's great what a treasure because if you miss that moment yeah they're gone yep 
And I would say to every parent, do that with your kids. It, it's fun. It's amazing what comes out. Sometimes you see a red flag that maybe you have to have a second conversation about. Um, I mean, I, I have read those a couple of times and they've brought me to tears about certain things they've said. And, and it was always, this is just mom and you and mom and you and mom and you, they were never shared with each other. It was just for me and Sarah or me and Katie or me and Lindsay. Mm. And, that's a really great way to stay, <clears throat> to stay on top of your kids. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's amazing. And, you know, um, it's funny because my mom would write the dates on the back of, like, pictures. Like, you, you know, you were saying your grandfather with dates on cards. My, my mom, my grandmother, everybody did that. And even, like, you know, the old pictures you had to get developed. Everything's so digital now. I worry about <laughs> not having a, a photo album need to take I, the time I agree with you. Cause you, I go up into my closet and I have shoe boxes and albums full of pictures that I can put my hands on. Yeah. You can do that now. Wait, let me scroll through my 12,000 photos and see I if know. I, it, it is, it is rather empty and God forbid the cloud goes down. Then what? Right. Right. You lose those pictures. It's happened. Um, it's happened to me. <laughs> yes. I'm a very tangible person. I need to get my hands on things. You know, um, talking about the, the diary and what led me to the to the job I have today is the other thing <clears throat> that happened was Nancy drew books. Oh, and it yeah. was a young sleuth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and her boyfriend, Ted. And so I the first one I read was The Hidden Staircase. And I had the opportunity a couple of times to talk to Barbara Walters and interview her. And we shared the same thing. She said, Nancy Drew led me to my job because I wanted to find out stuff. I thought that was really interesting. Mm, that, that is. That Nancy Drew was a spark to, hmm, I'm going to find out as much as I can. And I'm going to tell you what I found out, which mm. is what being a journalist is. Yeah, no, for sure. For me, it was the Hardy Boys, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All those. Think you're not as old as I am, so I'm surprised you re- you read the Hardy Boys. Yeah, no, I read. Oh wow, those um, you know, those were just did such great them, books. Did you read them in order or no? I don't think so. I just kind of read them randomly when I was a kid. I was a, a an avid reader. I just and. and you know, as a, as like ten years old or whatever, I was reading. You know, Huckleberry Finn, The Adventures of Robinson Crusoe, like all the classics that I somehow got my hands on. My mom would buy me these books, and sure, and I would get lost in them. And then I didn't read the Hardy Boys in order. I think by the time I started getting into my teenage years, I just discovered like my BMX bike and you know, <laughs> being yeah. out in the neighborhood versus reading all of the time, but yeah, it's interesting. I had a thing where I had to read them in order. And if I couldn't find the book in order, I was like, okay. Can't go on. (laughs) No, I, I, yeah, I, I, I have to end it now, but we would have a bookmobile that came to the neighborhood. Mm, Yep. And I would climb on board and then look for the numbers of, of the Nancy Drew books. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. That's funny. So, you know, Back back to your childhood. What what were your 
besides wanting to be Nancy Drew, um, no, <laughs> what were your what were your childhood aspirations? Like, what what did you want to be when you grew up, so to speak? I didn't know at the time. I just was doing it. Um, <clears throat> in college, I started out at Purdue University as a business major, and I thought, what am I? What am I doing? Because math is not my strong point. And then, so I said, I know, I'll, I'll go into fashion retailing and I'll, I'll be a buyer for a department store. There you go. Uh, which, okay. And then it just turned into journalism one day. And then I had <clears throat> a double major. Um, don't get me wrong. I had fun in college. I wasn't all books. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I just ha- had the need to write and Back in the day, I graduated from Purdue in 1979. There were no internships. There was one uh, TV station in West Lafayette, Indiana, but I didn't have enough time to fit an internship in, and it wasn't kind of a thing then. Yeah. If you remember then, women were still trying to fight to get on the air. I mean, Jane Pauley is a little bit older than I am, and she went to Indiana University, and she was in the Indianapolis market, and I kind of watched her, and then she ended up on the Today Show. Um, but women were really just starting to get going. I mean, I sound like I'm a, like from, you know, from the prairie days, but she was getting going. And then I ended up in the Elkhart South Bend market after graduating, you know, a month earlier from Purdue and being in a TV station and just learning on the fly because I didn't have internships. And again, we were film and it was kind of the early days of TV news. Right. Uh, and there weren't ENG capabilities and there wasn't live shots or any of that stuff. Um, and, and so I was very green, but worked very hard. I made $7,000 my first year at WSJV Television, which no longer exists. The call letters, call letters are different. So uh, I was an ABC affiliate at the time. So you, I just want to back up. You went to Purdue University. What, what made you want to go there? That's a funny story because my folks both went to Indiana University. Um, and I said, nah, I'm going to go to Purdue. And they're like, really? Because they're rivalries. But my grandfather I so he was very proud of me for going to Purdue, but I spent a lot of weekends at IU. Okay, okay, because <laughs> it was together. Yeah, but um, Purdue uh, is a land grant college, and it was harder to get into. Which um, you know, it was an engineering school. A lot of astronauts come out of there, and it was an ag school. So I really did belong at IU. Mm. But I went to Purdue. I don't know. I was conflicted. What can I tell you, Derek? Yep. <laughs> um, I um, I liked both schools. That was my problem. I got into IU, and then I got into Purdue, and I said, I'm going to go to Purdue. All my friends from South Bend, Indiana were going to IU, and I kind of wanted to carve out my own path at Purdue. So that's mm. what I did. So y- you were you were the business major, and then what year did you switch? My sophomore year, and sophomore that, which, year. Put, which put me behind. So I had to get yeah. you know up to stuff on credits. Um, and then I, I, again, I did everything. I was in a sorority there because that's what you do in the Midwest. Sorry, I'm getting lots, lots of about yeah. Michigan, about <laughs> Michigan State last night, which breaks my heart. Uh, it's awful. Um, 
you know, no matter how long I'm in news and it's been 44 years, it's just part, it's part of my being. It's part of my being to know what's going on and to help and further and find and find nuggets that nobody else is doing. I don't follow somebody else's path. One thing, and I'm skipping around, but the one thing that I'm most proud of um, in my years of journalism is my show Nyberg. And it it is just long format interviews. And I am curious and I want to know about innovators and entrepreneurs and authors and business people. Like you said, how did you build this? Yep. What were the pitfalls? What would you tell people about um, starting out? I am fascinated and my my wheels turn constantly about how did you do this? What, ha-? you know, <clears throat> I drive my husband nuts. We'll be <laughs> go, do you have to talk to everybody? Uh, and I said, yeah. And my father used to say, do you always have to be doing something? And I would say, yes, because I'm, I'm fascinated by people. I'm fascinated how they built stuff. I'm fascinated about the history behind. I'm fascinated about Connecticut. Mm-hmm. and it's history and I won't live long enough to uncover all these you know stones unturned about things I you know on, on my show last night I did something on the ball and socket manufacturing firm in Cheshire I'd never heard of it I've been here 36 years and they're turning it into an arts venue but what I did was I had people on executive director um from ball and socket the executive director then i had somebody on whose great grandmother worked there Mm. who made metal buttons for 50 years and she brought in the pedal that her great grandmother had and and wore her foot imprint into hard wood which was maple she brought that in and then there's a jewelry maker that's now making jewelry from the metal buttons that her grandmother made see i I could go down a rabbit hole. I love- <laughs> no, it's true. It's like there's so many incredible stories behind people and 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 these wonderful companies that we have, you know, here in Connecticut, which is which is like what I'm interested in as well, right? So um, I think we're a lot alike in that that aspect, which which is really cool. Um, but you know, so you, you're at Purdue, you you switch to journalism. And you mentioned the the first station you went to. Can you, can you tell me like what was that like? Like getting that first job in news. Okay, so I show up. I'm doing. I'm at that time. There were local news, and there still are morning cut-ins into Good Morning America, where they go back to their local TV stations. Yep. I show up for the first day of work, and really, am have no idea what I'm doing. Right. I can remember the red tally light going on the camera and me freezing for half a second and then just launching, right? Because back then you wrote your own copy on manual typewriters, you produced it, you um, there were no graphics, you would pull slides out of a drawer. For instance, if it was a car crash or a house fire, you would go to this little drawer and you would pull out the only slide for house fire mm. or the only slide that was car crash. So these were, these were the same slides over and over again. 
you physically ran in those days because you, you, you did it all. So I'd write the copy. We had an AP machine, which is music to my ears or, you know, the ticker tape thing and, you know, oh, yeah. going and in the expression rip and read that comes off an AP machine where you would rip off the copy. They would do our updates and then you would write from that. And so I was rewriting copy in between my cut-ins and I was also doing radio at the same time. Um, so I just ran, you, you were constantly running, but I was, nothing thrills me more than working by the seat of my pants where news is breaking and you begin to tell a story. Mm-hmm. So you have facts in the very beginning and then you built on it. And I had the utmost pleasure of interviewing Peter Jennings, who has since passed at ABC News. Yep. And he taught me a lot. His father was a incredible broadcaster in Canada. Peter Jennings never went to college. He never he never got over that. His college was when because he was such a good-looking guy, ABC hired him and they basically sent him on the road. And on the road was his education. And he said, think of breaking news as a pie and it's cut into slices and you get the initial information, you you know, you have a notepad by your side and you start to build on what you know, check three sources, which now with social media stuff just goes out there. And last night with Michigan State breaking Um, There was so much disinformation on social media. It was horrifying. Mm. And so it's in the way of police department's job in that there's all this information and then it gets retweeted or shared and it's wrong. You know, suspects are wrong. Um, You know, at at one point, and I I don't mean to, to date this, but they had, you know, several sites where there were people hurt. It, it turned out to be two, but by the end of the night, I saw like eight or nine sites. So they ha- it makes their work even harder because people who, you know, are not journalists just start sharing stuff because they think it's true. Mm. So that that's my big beef with that. You have to check sources. Yeah, okay, so you're fast, but if you're fast and wrong, you've done a lot of damage. Yeah. No, I know where it's definitely jumping around because I, I, I think that, you know, because um, I, I, I'm also a member of um, PRSA, the Public Relations Society of America, and we've done some panels on this where, you know, the story some, today, the story moves so fast, right? Yeah. And there's a competition between stations or what have you to, to be the sure. first that information or disinformation can flow just as fast that it's a challenge. It's, it's, it's tough. I will tell you it's a mess. Um, and, and because I started in TV news, you know, here's something on the scanner, you would go check it out with your photographer. There were, there were two man teams, which I love cause you had each other's back in case, you know, yeah. all heck was looking out. We now have a lot of one man bands. Now I worry about that sometimes. Um, and you would put a dime or a quarter in you know a phone and you call into dispatch if you will or the assignment desk and say hey i got this that's when exclusives really happened now for some reason 
TV stations share everything online so that everybody's chasing the same thing. So there's no exclusives mm. because you citizen journalists already there starting to share stuff. So there's no exclusives anymore. It's it's just follow the leader. And and I have often said, stop sharing what you know, pursue it, get a hold of it. Unless of course it's it's some kind of a breaking story that you need people's help. And that's what's good about social media, right? If there's an earthquake that hits, it's pretty sure it's an earthquake and you can get help quicker, faster, um, you know, all of that. Right. Yeah. Then, uh, it's, then it's good. Right. It's good. So social media is terrible and wonderful at the same time. Yeah. I always say it's like the atom, right? That, you know, you could split it for energy and you know, yeah. or you could split it for a nuclear weapon. You know, <laughs> it's like. I mean, I I worry about that because with man, I to know me is to know I jump around. <laughs> here, here comes artificial intelligence, right? Mm. Where people are on purpose making videos, and you think the video is true, and it's not, but it looks real, right? So artificial intelligence. Um, should be, you should be very, very scared of it and very, very happy about it. Again, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, it uh, is. I see videos that are made for whatever reason and none of it's true. Yeah. Yeah. We're dabbling with it a little bit in, in the creative world, you know, in, in PR sure. and, and advertising, you know, how could it help us? We certainly don't want it to replace us, but, um, I always think you're going to need the 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 human involved. That, you know, I worry about that too, too, though, Derek. <laughs> but but I will tell you what will save humans, and that is nobody can be spontaneous like humans or tell stories exactly. Like it's all about the story. It's all about the story. I mean, I just nothing jazzes me more than yeah. stories. Yeah. So going back, speaking of stories. Um, you you worked in Indiana and then you uh-huh. you were in Oklahoma, but I want to I want to hear you know tell us about coming to WTNH. What, what what brought you here to Connecticut? My husband. There you go. That's an <clears throat> so easy answer. <laughs> yeah. So I um, I took him. We were newly married uh, and had just bought a house, and I had an opportunity to go to Oklahoma City. <clears throat> And, you know, there were stars in my eyes and we were, we were rooted in South Bend and he had a job there and, you know, he, I have to hand it to him. He said, let's go, you know? So he stayed behind for a while. I'm, I moved to a little place in Norman, Oklahoma, which, which I loved. And then he joined me about four months later, mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and then got his, um, PhD out at the University of Oklahoma because he was he was still in school, and that worked out. And then so we were there for two and a half years. I was pregnant with our first child, Lindsay, and he got an opportunity to come to Yale. And so I'm like, okay, well let's go. Um, so we and we decided that we would go to. I mean, hello, Yale calls you go right. Right. And he came up through the ranks that way and. We thought we'd be on the East Coast for a couple of years and maybe go back to Indiana, maybe Indianapolis, a bigger city. And here we are. And I couldn't be happier. I love Connecticut. Our three daughters are born here. Our three grandbabies were born here. Um, 
And I love everything about this state. I just, I love the coast, the mountains, the people, the history, the, you know, it's funny because my parents would say, they would kind of romanticize about New England. We, they never took us there as kids. The, the closest we got to kind of a colonial area was Williamsburg, Virginia mm-hmm. as kids. But they just, you know, my dad kind of fantasized about New England and Maine and up east and all that other stuff. And I ended up here and I always feel like I should have been here. Mm. Um, it's just, I just love Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, it's a great place. No, for sure. You know, I, I mean, I'm a Connecticut boy, right? Born and raised here, and I've done. High, but yeah. you know, and, but and I've it, done so many, so much traveling, and I always fantasize wherever I go. I'm like, oh, I gotta live here. It'd be so amazing. But then, you know, come back home. <laughs> I always love coming home from vacations. Yeah, I, you know, we we live down close to the shoreline, and growing up right on the cottage in a little lake. I just need and want to be by water. Yeah. So, I mean, what the human body's made up mostly of water. Maybe that's why we want to want to be close to the water. But my kids grew up, you know, on the local beach, um, and this is just nothing better. And now I've got three grandbabies that are growing up on the same beach where my kids played in the sand. Are you kidding me right now? This is a Norman Rockwell novel. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, but but you, you come to Connecticut with with your husband and and but what about WTNH? Did you just kind of knock on the door and say, "Hey, I have news experience. Here I am." So, what you do is you send tapes, right? So, I I was an anchor in Oklahoma City. Um, I sent tapes. They had an opening for a weekend anchor job, <clears throat> and I showed up for my interview. And now, get this: eight months pregnant, right? So, back in nineteen. 86 that was like um oh well we can't have this you know there was a person at the station at the time who you know that he obviously is an employee you fear that oh, i don't know you you're about to have a baby what what are you even doing here interviewing well i'm a modern woman i'm like okay i'm gonna have a baby and it's gonna go on but it was different then right mm. so i ran into this gm eight or nine months later in a restaurant with a friend and we had both had our nine month old babies and he just kind of came over to the table. He was at the time he was talking to Sally, Jesse Raphael about bringing her show nationally to news eight, which is where we did her show. Wow. Yeah, and I, a, wow. I remember that you just dusted yeah, off memory lane. <laughs> correct. And so I said, you don't remember me, but I interviewed with you. He goes, oh, my God. And so I was hired two weeks later, and off I went. Mm. Um, Reporter, weekend anchor. And then, you know, I just – and I've seen that GM. um, He's now retired. And he's like, man, I should have just gone with you off the (laughs) potato. Because I just – I – People laugh at me in the newsroom, but I, I walk kind of heavy, but I'm, I'm still running. Like I ran at my first job cause I just, I can't help myself. I'm like, Oh my God, well, here's this, here's this. We got to do this. We got to do this. Mm. I just, I care deeply about getting stuff out there. Um, I don't know. I suppose I'll always tell stories in, in one way or another. I, I can't help myself. My my family just kind of lets me go like, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just this – I'm like this being that 
they threw away the mold, I guess, you know? Yeah. And I also have lots of stuff outside of, of what I do. I'm the vice president of the Catherine Hepburn Cultural Arts Center in Old Saybrook, which I'm most proud of and helped build it. And we have a board of trustees that's amazing. And um, I wrote a book on her not so long ago because people in Old Saybrook who revered her told me things. Um, for some reason, that book is popular in England. Mm. I, I love Catherine Hepburn there. So I'm all over the place. And I am i know you're thinking to yourself in this interview, I have to wrangle her in. This is the part where we really dive in. We want to learn more about you as a person, the habits, the choices, the things you do that make you who you are. So I want to know about your daily routine. Are are you an early riser? No. Okay. Although I now because our youngest granddaughter is four months old. Okay. Um, and so my all three of my grandkids live in town. And so I often watch her um, and I could get off onto another tangent here. Our third grandbaby was born deaf. Mm. Uh, and it was a shock. And it's because of a virus that we all get at some point. Some people are affected, some people are not. It's most dangerous when a pregnant woman <clears throat> gets CMV, cytomegalovirus, um, and passes it on to her baby. And mm. so I'm trying to pass help it's on the backs of so many people. <clears throat> that all babies in America are tested for CMV at birth because you only have 21 days to get antivirals into them to stop any more damage in babies. Yeah. Um, Minnesota just passed this law last week because if you miss that window, some children will go deaf and blind and cystic fibrosis and a number of different things with CMV. And it's something none of us have ever heard of, but we all get. And so I'm I'm on a crusade about that too, trying to do good for other families. Yeah, no, that's 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 very good to, of you so to do. My, so my my daily routine is I um, I get up later if I can, unless I'm watching the baby, and then I just I I just you know I'm answering phone calls, answering texts. Um, I also have a boutique downtown Madison called Annie Mame which um, I shop for and do and love that, love retail. And it helps me understand how people start businesses in their lives. And that's been for 12 years. So, And see, that, have, that goes full circle, right, to what you wanted yes. to, to be. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Who knew? Right. So we, we connect the dots. I think Steve Jobs said it, right? You, you can't connect the dots unless you look back. Yes. You know? Right. But do you do anything like, do you do yoga? Are you a medit? Do you do meditation? Do you run no, before you start any of that? I do no exercise and eat out of vending machines. How's that? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> don't, I had Claire, Claire Criscuolo from Claire's Cornucopia okay, on. Sure. So I don't, I don't, if she listens to this episode, she's going to be reaching out to you. <laughs> yes. So I, my, my, Mental exercise is just doing and being. Uh, I did do yoga for a while. I played tennis. I played racquetball. Yep. Um, I did all that stuff. Uh, I tried pickleball. I failed at that, mm. which is so popular right now. But I just, again, remember I said I run, I walk really fast in newsrooms. 
And I subscribe to the Jack LaLanne School of Isometrics. Mm. So I do that. <laughs> Very nice. But okay, so you're you're incredibly busy and news yes. is so fast moving. Um, yes. what, what do you do to disconnect from it all? I knit. Really? What do you knit? Yeah. I'm going to guess knit. outfits for the babies. <laughs> no, but my grandmother did do that. Okay. And my, grand- <clears throat> my grandmother taught me that, but I knit hats and scarves, hmm. um, some of which I sell. I am a, this will mean nothing to you, but I'm a chunky knitter. So I love, I love big chunky knits. Um, and so that to me is, is my Zen. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just, I don't know. There's something wrong with me. (laughs) No, no, not at all. But I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated by the world. Fascinated. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, I think when you're inquisitive and, and creative and all of that, like the eyes are wide open. Right. And when I mean like the eyes, it's like that inner eye. Um, one of the chakras, I forget what it is, but, um, you know, just always absorbing and observant and, and just soaking it all in or having a, a, a zest for life. But you disconnect by knitting. Where do you find inspiration? What, what inspires you? Everyday people inspire me um, and what they go through and what they do. And I have a maybe an uncanny sense. And there are a lot of us out there like this, where I see big picture. When I meet people, I, um, I can read them pretty well. Sometimes I'm wrong, but pretty much I can read what's going on in their face and in their head. Mm. Uh, And they inspire me. People who um, have lived through tragedies and it's, there's always something worse, right? Um, and, and that inspires me. I, again, going back to Barbara Walters, she said, so many journalists don't listen. You need to listen and you can have prepared questions, but if you're not listening to what somebody's telling you, you need to, <clears throat> at a moment's notice, turn on a dime and go there, go where they're taking you. Mm. That makes, and, and, some journalists will talk over their interviewees and that's when you miss the magic. Yep. People talk, listen to what they're saying. I mean, you know, if, if you're a reporter and you go out and you've got all these, you know, preconceived questions, uh, and say, you know, well, uh, where do you work? And then for some reason the interviewee goes off on, well, you know, my house just burned down and the interviewee is like, okay, that's great. Now, um, tell me, tell me about the fire. What happened? (laughs) Right. Pivot. Listen. Yeah. Don't preconceive anything because you're going to, you're going to miss an opportunity. If somebody's listening and going, well, why didn't she ask about that? You know, you have to, and this is what's so great about podcasts. You, if if you sit there and listen, and somebody can take you into a place, mm-hmm. go there. Yeah, no, um, for sure. For sure. And you know what? You bring something up because, speaking of listening, <laughs> it's you know in the news, like some of these news shows where. 
people are just shouting and talking on top of each other. I I, I, I can't even watch them anymore. It's awful. Well, some of that's ego. And I'll tell you that. It's like, oh, well, uh, you know, let me get my two cents in. Let me, you know, I I need to be heard. Right. Um, But again, Barbara Walters, you know, she said nobody wants long format anymore. They just want, you know, a headline, this and that. I disagree with her. Mm. We don't hear real stories and we just get headlines. You have no idea what's going on. You know, and I worry about social media that way. Oh, I got a headline or I got 200 characters and I get it. You got to go deep. You got to go deep to get the story, you know, and that's where newspapers come in. You know, I miss a hard copy newspaper. Mm. It's online. I get it, you know, and I'll read it. But I'm of the age where I loved to devour newspapers. I love it. And it's tactile, right? You can go back to it. You can set it on – it's like a book. You can set it on a table. You can go back to it. I loved the newspaper as a kid. I would sit down with my bowl of cereal and read the local paper. I grew up in Torrington, and I would read the local paper from you know front to cover, just mm-hmm. even the classifieds, right, what people were selling. And, and I just right. lo- loved those. That's what I think I love today. Even, you know, I subscribe to like the New York Times and the Wall Street sure. Journal and get all that national news and stuff. But I local news, even like the, the local weeklies, you know, um, I, I just love reading about those local stories of people. Oh, it's the best. It's the, the penny saver, right? It's yep. the best. Because that's where you – that's where you get the gems if you expand on it. You know, it's just going back to the Birch Barker that I used to write for. I, I, I have, since I've spent 60 some years there, I often threaten the people in the cottages. I'm going to write a gossip column when I retire <laughs> and I'm going to run around to all the cottages and, and not in a bad way. I don't mean that, yeah. but just, you know, well, you know, Sally and Bob are in residence this summer and they've had, you know, 45 puppies adopt, whatever it is. Because, oh, people, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, if I don't write, I will die. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, 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 one of the questions that I, I, this is sometimes a tough question for my guests to answer. But you, you've been so successful throughout your career. You're kind. You know, from the books to the the, the theater to your shop and the news. You're like you're like, you know, Wonder Woman. Um, but- oh, okay. Let me talk about that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> we can have him on. We can we can grill him. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. you know, success is. I think success is easy to talk about. But you know, what about failure and and. This is, you know, the question, the way I frame this is what's a favorite failure of yours? And what I mean by that is something that you were so sure about and you thought it was going to work, but, but it failed. And what was the lesson you learned from that? Gosh, there's a lot of failures, right? If you don't fail, you don't know success. Um, uh, that, that's just the way it goes. I think Tom Brokaw said, if you haven't been fired three times, you haven't made it. Well, I don't plan on ever being fired. Um, sometimes you get fired for ridiculous reasons, right? Or let go. Um, I don't know. I, 
every day. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think I tried to balance a lot of things. Um, I hope I, I never failed with my kids. You know, I tried to balance <clears throat> work and the kids and being there. You know, I was not there for everything because I was working nights. And that's where Mark came in, my husband. So, you know, he was Mr. Mom. And so we we raised our kids 50-50. He would be with them at night. I would be with them during the morning. We were both exhausted, but we didn't we didn't do nannies or anything like that. We didn't want to do that. We had mm. a we're in between. Um, I would have to ask my kids, I hope, I hope I did a good job. The fact that two of them live in town and chose to and have their grand have their children here. Um, I'm hoping that was a success. You know, there's no blueprint to be a to parent. <clears throat> you do the best you can. You fail a lot. You fail a lot. But um, I think we have a pretty healthy relationship. So <clears throat> failures are, um, you know, look, when I started in TV news, did I fail initially? You betcha. Did I pronounce people's names wrong? You betcha. Um, but I always strived. I had the wherewithal to just keep going and, mm. and plow through it. Um, the biggest thing with failures or mistakes is to admit that and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, humble about it. <clears throat> you know, I, I've we all make lots of mistakes. You just have to admit it. So giant failures, um, maybe I'm still to make those. I don't know. I Something does not stand out. Okay. Uh, something does not stand out. Little failures, you bet. You bet. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's those little failures, I think, that kind of teach us as we go along, right? Well, you got to look at it. You have to look at your wrongs, <clears throat> and that hurts to do that, but you have to look at them deeply. Absolutely. Um, and um, hopefully be better for it. You're the longest-serving um, woman news anchor and reporter in Connecticut television history, which is an amazing accomplishment. I think 39, 40 years um, is the number, and you've seen a lot. But we we touched on it before, where you know stations or or news outlets are trying to break the story first, and disinformation, um, you know, travels faster than the truth sometimes, and. Sometimes you know you hear this. There's there's a this public distrust like distrust of news, um, and social media does play a big role in that. Um, sure. H- how do we fix that? It, is there a way to to get back to basics or get rid of that? You know what? I ponder this every single day. It's funny that you bring that up. Um, because we are a very divided country right now. And so if you go back into history, you know, what ripped this country apart the most? Many things. <clears throat> the Vietnam War, the Civil War, where brothers were fighting brothers, right? Mm. It was 
was terrible. I think, you know, I'm waiting for, in some ways, a person on a white horse to ride in and fix it, right? But I, I, I live with basics. Um, like I said, you know, Naga hide, the mason jar, the coffee mug, <clears throat> formica, you know, all that stuff that was, was basics. Um, there's a lot of hate in America. Maybe there always has been. Um, but I think for those who have their eyes wide open, <clears throat> we have to figure out how to bring integrity back, kindness back, um, trust of the media. It's a problem right now. It's a real problem. Mm. And because everybody has a platform um, to say whatever they want to, whatever hateful words they want to, and it's out there. Um, I can say the sky is blue on social media and they go, no, it's not. It's blah, blah, blah. And then it gets con- the conversation gets commandeered and it ends up in politics somehow. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I think you just have to continue to do the work that you're doing and you do the best you can. And I don't know what it's going to take. I really don't. And like I say, I ponder this every day. I don't know what it's going to take to wake up to, um, to bring people back together. Okay. So again, I'm dating this interview, but you know, we just had the Michigan state mass shooting, um, horrendous. Um, how do you fix that? You know, we're, we're a land of mass shootings now, but how do you, how do you stop this? Well, under, underneath all that, people are angry, maybe misguided, um, mental illness comes to play. That's always the first thing that's cut financially, right? Yep. Mental illness and mental stability, mental stability is everything. We have to pay attention to that. Families are broken up. Um, you know, narcissism comes to play. We have to figure out how to take care of each other again. Um, and maybe that's a real naive thing to say. I don't know what it's going to take. I, you know, I've gotten hate mail and pushback by, by virtue of what I do because I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. I was taught do who, what, when, where, why, and how, right? Those are the six things you do as a journalist. I hope that I continue to do that. We all have bias because we grow up with bias. Um, But if you stay true to those six things and stay the course, that's the choice you make, right? Mm. We still have journalists who are siding one way or another. Or if you look at their social media accounts, they're backing one candidate or another. That's that is a complete no-no in journalism. I don't know where that got broken. I don't know where that got broken. Yeah. Uh, it is not all about you, me, as it were. It's about us. We have to figure out how to make it all about us because we're we're at a, a crossroads right now. We really are. Yeah, I wonder the same thing too, and and how to fix it. It's um, we are at this crossroads, and I, I think this next question maybe maybe we'll 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 continue this conversation or not. But someone comes up to you and says they want to get into journalism and news today. What what's your single piece of advice for them? 
read everything, <clears throat> you know, um, tell the, tell the truth. I think it's a hard business to get into now. It's not the business that when I got into it, um, <clears throat> because there's so many factors, right? There's 24 seven television. Um, you got to fill the space. You got to find content. Um, it, I think it's a mess. I think it's a mess. Um, journalism needs to be around forever, but now it, in many respects, it's a money game, right? What, what can we make the money on? And I suppose newspapers have also always tried to sell right with their headlines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, it used to be TV stations were owned by, uh, one person or another. Now they're big conglomerates. Um, you know, Sinclair owns hundreds of uh, hundreds, some TV station, the people I work for next are, um, they own 200 TV stations, you know, nothing should ever be a monopoly, right? It's it, competition is good, but the, the scene has changed. It's changed mm. as a, as a dyed in the world journalist, you just, it's hard. It's hard now. It's yeah. very hard. Yeah. Because no. agendas, there's other agendas. Um, and I think you just have to be true to the story. Uh, and again, like I said, I grapple with this every day. I grapple with it every single day. And we're so divided. Like I said, I can say the sky is blue and some will go, no, it's not. And then the whole conversation gets commandeered and it goes into places with hate and what is happening yeah. <laughs> and in fact my favorite saying in the newsroom and people laugh at me i'll go what is happening, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> you know it's it's interesting because I, I i listened to um another podcast um by he's actually a connecticut person but he lives in la now he's a, he's a big music industry person but he talks about pop culture his name is bob left sets and he was he was saying that you know in the 60s and 70s and, and a good part of the 80s you know music drove the culture and then in the 90s it was MTV that drove the culture and then now today it's politics that drives the culture you know it, it and that's dangerous it it really is to me it's like i'd rather get back to the music right you know i don't know what it's going to take you know, we have 9-11. We have mass shootings every single day. You know, if we become desensitized to that, then it's okay again, right? What? Now we have, you know, balloons in space. What? What is it going to take to go, oh, my gosh, let's be this great nation that we are. Let's, let's get our stuff together and, and be, you know, people – immigrate here because it's one of the best places in the world to live right yeah no it is is. what are we what are we doing yeah it's interesting because 9-11 was to me you know i mean tragedy right but it was that moment where i felt like all of america was united i mean people were riding around with american flags on their cars and you know there was just this outpouring of unity um I don't know. That's a that's a deep question. I, I don't know if we have enough time for that. But I have two more questions. If you could go back in time 
and meet your 21-year-old self, what kind of advice would you give Ann Nyberg? Um, just be yourself um, because that's all you can be. And I had, I had the great fortune of a, um, a consultant say to me, and I can't even remember who it was, who said, talk, talk to people like you're talking to your neighbor over the fence and Mm. you'll be good. Nice. And I never felt that. And it, and it has, it has worked for me. So my 21 year old self knew that going, going into this. And I always, or try to keep it right to that level. Like what you're hearing from me today is I wear my heart, you know, on my sleeve. What you see is what you get. I am no different on air than I am here. Um, I believe in, um, you know, just being you. And that has always worked for me. Sometimes I, I hear journalists who have affected speech and they're trying to be whoever they're trying to emulate. Just be you. Mm. People say, who are your mentors? Well, you know, I mean, I look, looked at Jane Pauley and, and Barbara Walters because that's all I had. Well, I was never going to uh, obtain the Today Show or be Barbara Walters. You know, I didn't know where I was headed. But I guess I had enough confidence to just say, okay, here, here it is. It, take it or leave it. And, <laughs> and here it is. And that's – I that consultant did me – an, an immense favor when I was 22 and starting in this business. And I always adhere to that. And I tell people that just be you. Cause you know, you have to be transparent. Mm. I, I, I don't know who said it, but somebody said, just be yourself because everyone else is already taken. Right. right? That's true. <laughs> but sometimes, it, you know, it's hard it is hard to be yourself because when you're starting, especially in television news, you're like, oh, my gosh, people are seeing me. And how am I supposed to stand and walk and talk? And wait, what and how's my voice supposed to be? And um, it's hard. It is very hard to be yourself. Mm. But with age, too, that helps. You're like, OK, here it is. What are you going to do? But I love people who are themselves, right? You could see that. You know, that's what uh, to me. Yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah, and to me, like being authentic or your true self stands out. That's what's gonna, you know, for anybody listening to this, and you know, if you're gonna be yourself, that's what's gonna set you apart. Right. It's just learning to be yourself and being comfortable with it, and that's okay. That's what young people need to know. Just, just do your thing. It's either gonna work or it's not. You know. Um. And and there it is. But I mean, again, I have I have age behind me, um, and I learned I learned that more and more to just go. You know what? And I suppose after you deliver twins, which I did, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Yeah. No, that's amazing advice. Be yourself. And final final question here is: there's a there's a podcast I love on NPR. Maybe you've heard it, Guy Raz. He, he does a show called How I Built This. So I'm uh-huh. steal, stealing his question. I don't know if, I, if this is a bad thing to do. <laughs> yeah. But he asks 
a question um, that says, you know, how much of your success has been pure luck and how much is from your intelligence, brilliance, leadership? I don't know the answer to that. Um, it is, it is driven by others. You know, I live and die by contracts always have, um, you know, if you're not somebody's cup of tea, they let you go. Um, I have no idea how I ended up spending 44 years in TV news. Um, yes, it's luck. Uh, yes, it's perseverance. Um, I just, you know, when I started in this business, you have no idea where where it's going to go. I had no idea that I would end up in Connecticut for, you know, nearly 40 years. I, it, life just happened. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, uh, is it talent? Is it perseverance? Is it um, right place, right time? I don't know. I think I just did the best I could and. I'm sure I was somebody's cup of tea and I'm sure I wasn't somebody's cup of tea, but, um, I don't know. Somebody said, God, you're a survivor. How did you do that? You know, cause you live and die by contracts. I said, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I just did my thing and, you know, luck and it, you know, you never do anything on your own, right? You're on the shoulders of others. Um, and what I what I do stand for is lifting up women and supporting them. And because um, I didn't get that when I started in the business, because there weren't many. So I, I suppose I always wanted to be somebody that people could count on. And if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Mm. Um, and um, you know, just helping. I I started the toy closet. Um, program at Yale New Haven Hospital um, 30 years ago this year. And, um, you know, we, we give toys to, to everybody that comes in and books and we built one playground and that wasn't done by myself. That was done by the hospital auxiliary and all the people behind it and schools that give money and the Today Show that gives leftover toys that they get there. And it has grown into this um, amazing thing which I gave a germ of an idea to and um, it, and it, and it worked and I take credit for starting it, but I sure don't take credit for its success because everybody who helps that survive, you know, if you give a, a child a toy, that's, you know, some that was born out of a story in Oklahoma city when I was at the children's hospital and I did a, I did a story in a child who had leukemia and they had to do bone marrow aspirations. And this was a four or five or six year old child. And when she got on, you know, this bed to extract this bone marrow aspiration, and then they don't anesthetize for that. She was holding this key, this with a worn red ribbon. And I was observing all this as a reporter. And I said, gosh, if I'm ever a mom, if I'm ever in a, not a mom, but I said, if I'm ever in a place where I could duplicate something like this, I'm going to do it. And I did it um, for kids. And what happened was after she was done, she went to a toy closet in Oklahoma at this hospital, grabbed a brand new baby doll 
And this little girl, you know, held the baby doll and said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, I, I was in tears in the back of the room and I said, okay, that's an impact. That's a story that moved me so much that I was going to figure out how to do it. Mm. Um, so we've given away millions of toys, you know, and Yale now has many outlets and there's toy closets everywhere all over the state. Um, and that was done by the work of volunteers and moving toys. And now we have a warehouse full of them. And, you know, at the end of the day, what did you do for somebody else? And I've tried to instill that in my kids, both my husband and I, um, you know, I'm just, I'm lucky. I've, you know, my, my sorrow right now is my granddaughter who is now deaf. Um, but I'm going to move, um, mountains to see that legislation gets passed in this state and hopefully federal because other countries do test, but they test it for everything else. They need to test babies for CMV to make that window. And I am going to move mountains if I can to make that happen. Well, we're behind you on that. And I want to thank you so much for, for being on the show. Well, you got all of me, Derek. There it is. And there we have it, my friends. That's Ann Nyberg. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And if you want to find out more about Ann and keep up with all of the great things she's doing, you can visit WTNH.com and, of course, follow her on Twitter at Ann Nyberg. Upfront is brought to you by Mason. Creatively obsessed and fixated on results, Mason leverages technology, entertainment, design, and culture to create bold, fearless ideas. It's time to make your brand more valuable. Challenge accepted. And last but not least, you can get in touch with us by sending an email to hello at mason23.com. That does it for this one. Until the next time, we'll see you. Take care. Take care.